Hello, and welcome to Pop Culture on the program with Carrie Smith. I am one of your hosts, Carrie, and I'm here with your anonymous mystery Chris host. How are you, mystery Chris? Howdy, Carrie. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I don't know if people know that if you move to Texas, because I know a lot of you are considering moving to Texas, it's a requirement that you say howdy once you get here. That's the Texas greeting. I always pretend to tip my hat, even though I'm not wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> I'll imagine you, you have to way. do it. You have to do it when you say it. You got to tip the hat. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I just want to put this on the screen right up top. Two sisters and some yarn says, ah, Chris's voice. <laughs> Hi, two sisters. Mm. <laughs> the ladies, yeah. the ladies love your, uh, your voice. And yeah, I know it's cause you have a good voice, but also because they can't see your face. And so people, if you just give them one thing, then they're going to focus more on that. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they'll imagine that, you know, I'm the Denzel Washington son or something. Yeah. Jean Ellis says, hi, y'all. She said, that's also fine in Texas. It's true. I do say y'all a lot. You know, I, I'll even type it on emails. I don't know if it's professional or not, and I don't really care because I'm from Texas. Yeah, it's it's official to do that here. Oh, wait. <laughs> okay, I just plugged that in. That's better. <laughs> so I want to get right into the topic because we're going to try and keep this just to an hour. I promised... Nina Infinity, I'm going to be on her show right after this. And so we're just going to try to keep to the hour. And I know you have a lot prepared. Uh, before we get into it, I'll just say thank you for watching. If you're hanging out with us, this is a new channel. It's called Deprogrammed. And if you wouldn't mind hitting like and subscribe, we also have a locals and a subscribe star and a Patreon. If you are able to and want to support the show financially, uh, I think everybody on subscribe star has now received an email ex unless you subscribed in the past day. So we're going to try and move everybody's on subscribe star. You should ha automatically be a member on locals. That's where we're going to be doing our book club and some movie nights and things like that. Um, so thank you for supporting. And without further ado, Mystery Chris is here to bring us all down and talk about the ways the government is. <laughs> uh, we're gonna try to keep it as positive as we can. It'll be a little tough, but hey. Okay, so I have to admit, when you told me about the topic for tonight, predictive programming, I had never heard that term. Is that a commonly known phrase? Not really. Like it has kind of conspiracy implications. So you know, when people hear that automatically go to kind of conspiracy stuff. And so, you know, when we were talking earlier about it, I was kind of trying to make a point that there's there's influence from the government that we know about and from certain think tanks, like we'll get into one of them a little bit later. And usually what they emit is things that have to do around the public perception of what they do and, you know, uh, certain pieces of equipment that they want in there or not in certain movies or stories but what we don't know for sure and what a lot of people speculate about is certain narratives if that's being pushed like things that have to do with something that it's not related to the cia or or the fbi or or any of these other intelligence agencies or anything and so um stuff like you know people who are reading things into maybe sometimes like Super Bowl halftime shows, like, you know, a lot of people will say that, you know, they're putting hitting messages and, you know, uh, halftime shows or music videos. Like you'll see people who are breaking down Jay-Z doing the Illuminati thing. And, yeah. you know, it, it can get into some pretty wild areas. And, you know, my goal wasn't to quite get into that, that, that far tonight, maybe another show, but, uh, try to talk about some of the it what known influence that the government has on on shows and movies yeah somebody in the chat earlier and I apologize i can't completely keep up with chat while doing this but somebody said if you start to go down this hole of reading about predictive programming that it's a rabbit hole you won't come out of for a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 so, it, 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 it's easy to like it's easy to identify maybe or make uh, certain connections that aren't necessarily actual there. 
you know, once yeah. you, you start to read into to things and, you know, you don't want to become kind of like, you know, SJW means to start reading in racism and right other things into to everything. So you got I can see how that could easily happen. Um, can we start just before you tell me about some of these examples? In case there's anybody else who doesn't know what predictive programming is, Cole, uh, say hello to Cole, everyone. Cole, can you bring up our first article? This is from Ohio State University. So I've, I'll read a little bit of this. And you haven't seen this yet, right? I haven't. Okay. Predictive programming. Predictive programming is a theory that the government or other higher ups are using fictional movies or books as a mass mind control tool to make the population more accepting of planned future events. This was first described and proposed by researcher Alan Watt, who defines predictive programming as, quote, predictive programming is a subtle form of psychological conditioning provided by the media to acquaint the public with planned societal changes to be implemented by our leaders. If and when these changes are put through, the public will already be familiarized with them and will accept them as natural progressions, thus lessening possible public resistance and commotion, end quote. Okay, so then the article goes on to say, then it was popularized by Alex Jones and David Ick, the most Ike. notable, Ike, that's how much I know of that guy. The most, <laughs> the most notable cases of predictive programming are the examples found in The Simpsons, The Dark Knight Rises, the Hunger Games, and the oldest being from Futility, which I found out is a book, I think. Information can be found on blog posts, and many conspiracy theorists have either made videos on it or have spoken on the subject. People who believe in this theory are mostly conspiracy theorists who think there will be a totalitarian government takeover. Why would anybody think that? <laughs> what? No, the government loves us. Why would... Or on the more mild side, I love that they say that's not mild. When was this written? Have you see, seen what's happening in the world currently? <laughs> on the more mild side, theorists who believe tragic events are an inside job or completely fake. David Icke proposed that the Sandy Hook shooting was predicted in The Dark Knight Rises because Sandy Hook is shown on the map in one of the scenes. While I was looking for more information on the motives behind the government participating in predictive programming, I found that most commonly, most commonly people believe the government creates a problem so the population will look to the government for a solution. Okay, can I just interject here for a second, Mr. Chris, and tell you, uh -huh. why wouldn't the government do that? <laughs> the, 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 you know who does that? The pharmaceutical industry does that. Mm -hmm. So I used to have a friend, she went with me to Duke. She was incredibly smart, really great writer. She got this amazing job, amazing in terms of salary and benefits, but she had this job in New York. Her job was to write articles, ghostwrite articles on behalf of the pharmaceutical industry for problems like to plant the seed of like, isn't this a terror? It's like six or seven months before the drug would come out that would, that would fix this problem. She would write these articles and give them to journalists and they would publish them. It's like, Oh, has anyone noticed the alarming increase in X, Y, Z? And then six months later they would roll the drug out. That was her job. Yeah. So if the pharmaceutical industry is doing that, why wouldn't the government do that? Of course. Yeah, why did and we know a lot of people know that government has influence on the regular media. And so if you I mean when they came out with these programs like uh what was the uh FBI's program, I'm blanking on it, from when it came out in the 1970s that they had a uh, program to influence journalists in uh, the media. Operation Mockingbird. Mockingbird. It. it was the CIA. Yeah. CIA. Yeah. The FBI has their own program. They all do. <laughs> so we know this about the news. So why wouldn't they be doing it in movies and shows, scripted television and entertainment? Right, exactly. Okay, I'm just going to finish the last part of this paragraph and then you can give me some good examples and we can go through them and decide and you guys can decide in the chat if these are conspiracy theory or if there's something there. <laughs> so the rest of this uh, paragraph says, uh, however, because the government planned for the crisis, the government will offer a solution that has been planned long before the crisis ever happened. Alan, along with many others, believe a desired outcome is created through the power of suggestion in media. This theory is still very popular today because any huge event 
can be seemingly traced back to a cartoon or movie that was fortunate enough to predict it. Okay, that's enough of that piece. We get the gist now. If you didn't know what predictive programming is, we get the gist. So what are some good examples that you know of? And I know you've told me some off camera, but tell me some that come to mind. So ones that we know for sure are ones that people speculate as to there might be influence from the government. Let me hear one that we know for sure first. Well, a lot of them, uh, the ones we know are usually CIA and Department of Defense consult on movies uh, like uh, what's the Catherine Brigolo movie that came out? Um, the Hurt Locker. Yeah, those type of military movies, we know that they consult on that. Uh, CIA is consulted on movies like Enemy of the State. That was that Will Smith movie. And, you know, basically those type of movies, you know, the CIA and FBI have a uh, interest in making sure that they're portrayed in a more positive light and that uh, certain pieces of technology either are revealed or are not talked about. So that's what's what's admitted now, so I'm gonna, I'm going to jump in here because Cameron Pasha, who's been hey. co-hosting with me some Mondays, is here, and he's talked about this before. He's a screenwriter in Hollywood, and he just offers uh, a chat. He says, "And MK Ultra." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> I came up <laughs> talk about rabbit holes. I did a, uh, a rabbit hole a while back ago where I was going down uh, this rabbit hole looking for uh, information on Return of, to Oz. If you remember that sequel to Wizard of Oz, and I came across oh. this website that talked about how the movie, according to this person, not saying that this is true, but according to this person, that uh, it was basically a kind of allegory for MK Ultra because Dorothy in the beginning of the movie is being, she's having electroshock therapy because everyone thinks she's crazy. And she ends up going back into her mental state where she goes into the land of Oz. And this person was going back down the list of all the similarities between what was happening on screen and what we know about MK Ultra. So I thought it was interesting. See, I'll entertain things. I'm not saying things are necessarily true. I'll entertain them because I, I like them. Uh, Cameron also says, oh, he gave us a super chat. Thank you. Thank you, Cameron. Yeah, thanks. He says, predictive programming comes from the dark occult in Hollywood. It is very real. I believe him. Yeah. Um, you know what's interesting? You're mentioning MK Ultra and the, what was it called? Return to Oz. Yes. But you're also making me think of how <clears throat> sometimes they will put things that are real they'll kind of make fun of them and make a comedy out of them so they mm -hmm. can slide it in right under your noses. And I know some people talked about the movie Eyes Wide Shut in that way or the movie uh, Zoolander in that way because Zoolander was sort of a spoof about MKUltra. Mm. And, and Eyes Wide Shut is about the secret society of elites who, who meet in this sort of a cult environment. And, and it, it, is there something to that idea that if they put something in a movie – that's real or has a some seed, some kernel of reality that then if things are ever leaked, everyone's like, oh, don't believe that. That sounds right. like a movie, right? Right. Yeah, we've, we've seen. Well, it, <laughs> it's interesting because we were talking about before uh, how uh, V for Vendetta and you got to be careful since we're on YouTube, but how similarities between things going on now with a certain virus and a certain um, a uh, form of medication that's being prescribed to 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 help with this uh, this virus. So, uh, similar to that, um, there is World War Z. If you remember that movie with um, Brad Pitt, where they were they had the zombie virus, and United Nations had a I don't know. Can I even say? It? <laughs> they had, it's in, it's in a, a shot. Movie. They had a, a little needle thing that okay. was uh, going to save the world if everyone just got it. And so there's a lot of things that you could say, is this predictive programming? Is this what's prepping people for it? Yeah. I mean, not just, you know, with those, but I've noticed a lot of movies, these kind of post-apocalyptic movies that have been coming out in the last few years, even shows like Discovery mm -hmm. Channel had a uh, whole series. It's like uh, the world after humans or something to that effect. 
and shows that are talking about, you know, how the earth would be better off without humans. Look, nature has reclaimed all the terrible things we've done to the planet, you know, just all this, you know, nonsense. I mean, uh, you could also look at the first Kingsman movie where Samuel Jackson played a billionaire who wanted to depopulate the earth. And he even mentioned a thing called Gaia theory, which is a real theory. Uh, What's Gaia about, theory? It's basically that the earth is a living organ, uh, organism and that us human beings are basically a, a cancer that's eating away at it. And so a lot of the Malthusian types buy into that and they, put that for it, you know, that, that aspect heard, of the environmental movement. So I have heard people refer to us in that way. A lot of them from my time spent in the left mm -hmm. <laughs> who kind of refer to us as a plague. Um, let me interject for one second. We have a big super chat from Scott Wellman. Thank you, sir. He says, why do I feel like the 2019 Joker film is the antithesis to predictive programming? The whole point I thought about its storytelling was that you come to your own conclusion about the character. What do you think about that? Yeah, you could definitely see stuff in Joker. You know, Joker's kind of portrayed as a victim of society. Uh, he's very heavily medicated and, you know, uh, he's very reacting. He, he's very reactionary to things that are happening around him that slowly kind of moved him to becoming more violent. And he ends up leading a revolution. And I remember, uh, at the very end of the Joker, where a big riot breaks out and people chanting his name and going crazy, it reminded me a lot of the riots that happened in 2020. And so, you could make a a connection there, perhaps. You know, setting the stage for you know this kind of anarchy and demanding that the system you know collapse in the same way that Bane in The Dark Knight Rises you know was demanding that you know the elites finally pay and kind of uh, uh, leading this populist revolution against mm -hmm. them. So, Yeah. Well, let's get back to the ones that you said we, we have evidence of. Are there any more? You gave examples of, you know, we know that the government it, uh, has, you know, consults on TV and film projects, um, pushes certain pieces of propaganda or attitudes that they want us to adopt. I have a whole slideshow prepared. I don't know if we have time for it, but... It's it's movies that throughout the course of history have had some type of influence by the government to either push for a war effort or against a certain dictator or, you know, they have involvement in our popular culture. You also mentioned Project Mockingbird, MK Ultra. Is there anything else that we know? Like, look, this is an example of the government sticking their finger in entertainment. Well, uh, I do remember that the government consulted on Independence Day, that they didn't want, well, they, they started to consult, but the producers of Independence Day insisted on Area 51 remaining in the movie, because that's where the aliens are at. And so the government, after they was like, if you're not going to take that out, then we're not going to have any involvement with this production. And I think the whole Area 51 thing is a distraction for something else. I don't think there's actual like alien stuff there, but that was one big example. Um, the show 24, Keith Sutherland, that was another one. Uh, Hulk, I believe it's the first Hulk movie. Uh, the CIA, I believe, wanted them to make a number of changes to the script. And there's there's been another uh, contact in the Jodie Foster one, uh, Pentagon wanted the, them to portray uh, the military in a certain manner in that movie. So it's it's so many movies. There's actually been some Freedom of Information uh, acts been done, or uh, requests that have gotten a lot of files that have talked about these movies that the CIA has consulted on. And so there's a lot. There, you're also making me think of, oh gosh, I saw a movie recently. It was within the past year. Help me out here, because you know all these movies. It was a superhero <laughs> movie. Oh, it was Suicide Squad 2. Oh, Did yeah. you see that? Yeah. So there's this really funny part where, on the one hand, they find that the government has been up to all this shady business, up to mm -hmm. no good, right? But then, so they're portraying the government as being shady, which, okay, it is. <laughs> Thank you. But then they portray the media 
as being virtuous. There's a part at the end where I could believe all of it. I could believe a <laughs> ferret man and all of the superpowers and everything. Yeah. But I couldn't believe that at the end they, were, they said, if we can just get this information to the media and get it out, then, you know, they'll fix everything. It's like oh, the media is in bed with the government. What are you talking about? <laughs> that would never happen. <laughs> I know. Is that predictive program to make you trust the media? Mm-hmm. Trust the media. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, so what are some then that you think that, or that this author of this paper would say these, these reside in, you know, the land of conspiracy theory? Uh, well, there's ones like uh, The Lone Gunman, if you remember, uh, that was a spinoff to The X-Files. The very first episode, I think it was the pilot, dealt with, um, I think it was a terrorist attack where planes were flown into the World Trade Center Tower, and the government turned out to be behind this act. Now, this came out, I believe it was the summer before, there, it may have been summer 2000, I think, that this came out right before the 9-11 attacks so yeah i tend to is think is that a coincidence yeah i tend to think that's a coincidence yeah is, is the programming working on me <laughs> <Because I'm> like... <laughs> but yeah i kind of like uh you can all any any world event one thing i do agree with in the papers you could probably find some bit of media that looks like oh that was prophetic right yeah Right, yeah, you it's you can go backwards and find things and go, oh well, that kind of looks like it was predicting this. That's kind of like the Nostradamus stuff. You can go, oh yeah, well, kind of suggesting this, but you know, sometimes things are a little, it's a little weird how accurate sometimes certain things are. We have a, uh, we have a, <laughs> you want to read this one? <laughs> Honest day, Pierre. You should all trust your government. It's the right thing to do. Farewell. <laughs> Thank you, Abraham Lincoln's tech-savvy ghost. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nice. Uh, okay. Okay. So there's the X Files with the 9/11, two planes, you know, uh, and and the government being behind it. And mm-hmm. okay, what else? What's another one? Uh, well, the ones I've already mentioned uh, with V for Vendetta, uh, World War Z. Um. So V for Vendetta. For anybody who doesn't know, there's a scene in that movie where they're talking about this virus. You're right. It's we're looking. It's at so time. hard. You don't know what to like. What can I say? Damn it. They're talking about a virus, <laughs> and and they have already developed the treatment for it. And when they release it. And so somebody could look at that probably and say, aha, see, that's predictive programming. They were getting us ready for this. I don't know. Again, I don't, that, who, but that's not what happened. So and it was, it was the, the virus is used to usher in this fascist government. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I know a, a lot of that is taken from the comic, you know, and the comic was more of a critique against Margaret Thatcher. And when this came out, the movie came out, it's kind of a critique of Bush and, you know, feelings people have, the Bush administration being fascist. And it's like, well, you haven't seen nothing yet. <laughs> yeah, if only we had known. <laughs> Cameron Pasha says, yeah, it did. It worked on Carrie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so Viva Vendetta. And then you were telling me there was a Simpsons episode. There was a Simpsons episode. There's about a couple moments in the Simpsons. One of them, uh, I remember seeing a clip around the pandemic started where it was these group of elites that were talking about putting out some kind of virus. Again, I'm trying to center myself. <laughs> putting this out and using the media to uh, gin up a bunch of fear and then having a treatment available ready to make a lot of money. Do you think that sometimes it's just the collective unconscious where mm-hmm. we're moving in a certain direction and people have different ideas about what might happen? And obviously, you know, if you're a creative person, you're writing for a TV show, you might be able to predict the way something goes. And like a lot of these uh, dystopian fiction writers, yeah. you know, the book, books like 1984 or uh, Brave New World. I'm sure in the right context, yeah. somebody could look at that and say that was programming. 
you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of that was just staying up from communism. So it's not that hard to kind of extrapolate from history, things that have already happened and just thinking about how technology can use to bring about uh, certain things that happened in the past that, you know, governments want to do to the population. So yeah, some of these things could be just people who just paid attention to, to history and just thought about, you know, how things work in the increasing technology and the way that affects our lives and, and what kind of, um, how they'll affect governments and, and the amount of corruption that will, it will breed. And so, yeah, some of this stuff, I, I think they did on their own. Other things are like, yeah, mm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to bring up one of these articles? That you sent me? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if we could bring up the well, before we do that one, I just want to can we bring up the the image of Stacey Abrams? I'm, I'm sorry if anyone's eating, but uh, uh, so Stacey Abrams, you don't know, uh, she was in a episode of Star Trek Discovery this now, past week's the last episode. Wait a minute, this is Stacey Abrams, the politician, correct? The politician, yes. She's she's playing president of the world. And it's a surprise cameo. She comes out and everyone's so happy to see her. And <laughs> and the thing is, listen, Star Trek's had a lot of cameos in the past. None I could think of were politicians, unless you want to count Abraham Lincoln, who was an episode of the original series, who called her a negress. I mean, it's pretty accurate, I think. But <laughs> but they've never they've never done the politicians and putting any politician for that matter in in the role or just the show in general is going to have people are going to view that as having of making some kind of statement a political statement like yes. the writers you know you know what the culture is right now you know what the political environment is right now you know what the perceptions will be but you still chose to put a politician. And I don't want any politician, you know? It's not just that it's Stacey Abrams. I don't want anyone, even if I like them, I don't want them there because that immediately takes me out of the story. And I'm concentrated more on what statement is being made by the writers and producers by making these moves rather than immersing myself in the story that's occurring on screen. It is necessarily a political action to put a politician in the role that should be occupied by an actor. Mm -hmm. It's one thing if it's on SNL, we, we are used to seeing SNL is a comedy show. They bring on all kinds of personalities, not just actors. They bring on comedians and musicians and politicians. And, but in a fictional show to cast a controversial, especially a controversial politician, instead of casting an actor there, they are definitely making a statement. You can't mm -hmm. say they're not trying to make a statement. And and it's, it's not just that she was in the show, specifically that she's playing the president of the world. Like they could have easily made her like a, you know, a tech or uh, someone just <laughs> in the background. Seriously, they could. They've done that with celebrities. Um, you know, Mae Jemison, who is the first black woman in space. She was on the episode of Next Generation where she played a transporter uh, tech. And that was one that yeah you had some articles saying oh you know first black woman and of course talking about how she was inspired by who uh, and stuff but was it made a huge deal wasn't made of it and it's just kind of like a thing but with her specifically putting her in this role does seem to suggest that they want viewers to view her in a certain way to to view her as being elite and being in these higher positions because i'm pretty sure she has eyes on running for president doesn't mean it's realistic but <laughs> i'm sure she she wants to run for a higher office and so because she can't i believe she she contacted star trek because you know she's a fan and in fact actually last or 2020 uh there is a trek the vote campaign fundraisers for democrats that what? a lot of trek actors uh, were a part of, and she and Cory Booker were leading these uh, this meeting. Let this me guess. Meeting. George Takei had something to do with that. I'm sure he did. <laughs> I, I, I'd have to look it up. But that's not the first time they associated Trek with politics, because in 2016, they had Trekkers Against Trump, which is a, a memo that 
50 of the actors and producers and writers signed on to uh, demanding that people not only not support Donald Trump, but specifically vote for Hillary. Because like I was reading, I read the thing and they started off, you know, doing thing like, you know, both sides are kind of corrupt and stuff. I was like, okay. But then they're like, but only one of the politicians running for a president right now has the right stuff. This person is a, a dignitarious person, has the leadership and the resume to, to lead us all to a better, most peaceful future. And that person is Hillary Clinton. And then <laughs> they lost me. I was like, oh. So did you mail back your Star Trek membership card? <laughs> I teared it up. <laughs> I'm not kidding, guys. Mystery Chris has a, a an adorable Star Trek. What's it called? It's a Star Trek ID. It's from when he was a kid. <laughs> and I was Captain Enterprise. Yes. Good times. You yeah. didn't tear it up, send it back. <laughs> <laughs> and cry. But yeah, so this got me thinking a little bit about predictive programming, but specifically another incident that happened in Star Trek Picard, which is one of the new shows that's airing on the streaming service. And in this new series, the characters get transported to a fascist future. Shocking. And there's obviously an allusion to Trump and Trump rallies and the, the future, this fascist future, there's xenophobia, you know, the, the humans are all together. They want to eradicate all the aliens in the universe. So they're setting up another allegory for, you know, um, illegal immigration, which is what they did the first season. But this this time it's more in your face. And so in order to stop this fascist future, they have to go back to 2024 in L.A. And so one of the characters while talking to, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Red Lair Media is awesome. Yeah, they did some good reviews uh, lately. They're... they're they're tearing the show apart, rightfully so. But one of the characters, uh, she's giving kind of a pep talk to the other characters who are going to go out on the street of L.A. and telling them how to blend in. And she makes this comment about um, people having a vaccine chip. And this comment's made not saying that it's bad or that this is what leads to that fascist future. <laughs> It's just made as it, the comment just comes out just like, oh, this is just what everyone has. So you might need, you know, to disguise yourself or have this or something in order to blend in because you don't want to you know, stand out. And that that really stood out to me about, you know, specifically predictive programming, because the idea of these chips type stuff, first of all, the media didn't really acknowledge it. For a while, I mean, they had Bill Gates come on to the media and give a spiel about it and stuff. But kind of like we were saying earlier, where they kind of crazify certain things, like where they start saying that people thought that the uh, certain form of medication being handed out for this virus that's going on right now, that how people who don't want to be forced to take that think that there's microchips in this medication, which is not true. I'm sure you could find some schizophrenic people that believe that, but most people don't their their concerns are a lot more reasonable and rational but with this they're just kind of coming out with it and just saying oh yeah it's kind of normalizing the idea that you know in the future we'll have these that's exactly the definition of predictive programming Mm -hmm. yeah is trying to normalize something not making it a major plot point or Mm -hmm. critiquing it or warning about it but just kind of smoothing it over like well, of course, in the future, this is a thing that will be normal. Yeah. And so, yeah, it seemed like they were just trying to familiarize people with that, just calmly and casually just kind of put that in to get people kind of used to it. So uh, that made me think of an article I read years ago about how the Rand Corporation, a.k.a. the Bland Corporation from Dr. Strangelove, how the Rand Corporation consulted with uh, the original, the creators of the original Star Trek in 1964 and we have an article about that and cole if you could pull up that article i sent you should be the one labeled star trek is this the one captain kirk's predecessor yes so jeffrey hunter uh yeah he played uh captain before kirk and uh he did an interview in 1964 when they were filming the pilot talking about how the rand corporation was consulting with uh, 
Star Trek producers to put in, you know, certain ideas specifically related to technology. And so I'm going to read just a little bit. So uh, actor Jeffrey Hunter, who played Captain Christopher Pike in Star Trek Pilot Cage, told a Hollywood columnist in January of 65 that he hoped the pilot episode would be picked up as a series because he was intrigued by the fact that the series based on Rand Corporation's projection of things to come. Now, we should know in several weeks whether the show has been sold, Hunter said, uh, almost half a century ago, be hour long, color, keeps going on. So he says, the things that intrigues me most, Hunter said, is that it's actually based on Rand Corporation's projection of things to come. Except the fictional characters, uh, it will be like getting a look into the future and some predictions will surely come true in our lifetime. Uh, this article goes on to talk about how uh, one of the guys who worked for the Rand Corporation consulted on uh, making the, or designing the bridge for Star Trek, other pieces of technology. Um, it says here that in Rand Corporation, the series limited to technical advice by Rand researcher Harvey P. Lynn Jr., as Trek Plays points out. Uh, he provided the original series creator Gene Roddenberry with scientific and technological advice during pre-production of the series. And and Rand Corporation goes on to talk about how they keep stressing that he did that on his own. They don't say that it came from them, but who knows with that. Right. But uh, the article also goes on to talk about, you know, uh, similarities with the Federation and, you know, those people who are pushing for, say, world government. You, if you look at the United Nations flag, it's basically what the Federation flag is. And uh, other things, let's see here. Uh, so if you scroll down a little bit more, please. So despite Rand's own statement that Lynn was consulted as a private citizen, the article goes to say that at first, Lynn worked informally on a series later he paid a whopping $50 per show for the use of his brain expertise to contribute indispensable insights that help shape ideas like the ship's computer. He suggested that it talk in a woman's voice. The sick bay, he suggested the beds be outfitted with electrical pickups, the monitor, the body, and teleportation. And then this goes on to define predictive program. Um, basically, sounds like it, it got the same source that the article that you were Reading from earlier, mentions Alan Watt, who kind of came up with that term. Uh, if you scroll down a little bit more, please. I bet. Are you trying to get to the paragraph about uh, that starts as Daniel Brandt? Because that one's really interesting. Uh, we can go that one. Let's see which one is that one. Oh, sorry. There we go. So uh, as Daniel Brandt wrote in his article, uh, Philanthropist at War, the interlocking system of foundation and think tanks after World War II were part of the push by central banks to establish by stealth a one-world government. And this global control system of control, as Carol Quigley brought to light in his Tragedy and Hope, would not be idealized. Uh, let's all come together in peace, sort of political utopia. Rather, this thousand-headed creature was forced into being and controlled by the major central banks on the planet acting in concert quickly. By the way, described Rand Corporation as a private research and development firm under contract of the United States Air Force, Brandt wrote. Uh, convert foreign policy became the standard mode of operation after World War II, which was also when Ford Foundation became a major player for the first time. The institute most involved in classified research was Rand Corporation, set up by the Air Force in 1948. The interlocks between the trustees of Rand and the Ford, Rockefeller, and Carnegie Foundation was numerous that the Reese Committee listed them in its report, two each for Carnegie and Rockefeller and three for Ford. Ford gave $1 million to Rand in 1952 alone at a time when chairman of Rand was simultaneously the president of the Ford Foundation. Huh. Well, I wonder how that worked. Uh, the involvement of Rand in Star Trek, uh, presumably far from an isolated experiment, in July 2011, by an article by Daniel Taylor of Old Thinker News, the article, or Arthur writes about a trailer for Vita Game, uh, X human revolution, getting people ready for a transhumanist future in which a man merges with the machine. Taylor points to a report prepared by Rand for the National Intelligence 
Council titled The Global Technolo Technology Revolution. In this 2001 report, the themes are outlined as possibilities. These possibilities then magically find their way into fictional formats such as movies and video games. And then this article concludes where the author was talking about he's a Star Trek fan, but you know, it's sad that he had to found out about this and report on this. And it sucks because I love Star Trek. I mean, I yeah. still think Star Trek's great. And but you so know. what do you think taking everything you just you just read in this article and and the stuff that you've seen on Star Trek, because you've watched all of it. I know this. You've, you've tried to force me to watch it many times. Yes. <laughs> I will never stop. And, Tell me what what is it if they if they are engaging in predictive programming and trying to get humanity to become more adjusted to societal changes that they have planned, or even if they're just trying to get us to become more accepting certain beliefs or ideologies, like what is it that you think that they're pushing? What is their agenda? Hmm. Well, I know a lot of people have accused Star Trek of promoting communism for a while. And I don't fully buy into that because I think the view of the future has similarities to what maybe certain communists want, but the future in Star Trek is built on this post-scarcity world, this model in which all human beings have uh, all the material needs met. And so because of this, people are free to engage and pursue um, higher-minded things and, and to increase their knowledge and explore the galaxy. And so, truthfully, a lot of the economics in Star Trek don't make sense because, you know, these writers are they're writing drama. You know, they're not economists, and a lot of them haven't devoted a lot of time to really explain this because it doesn't really make sense when you think about it. Why don't they get an economist for their writer's room? They got a politician for their actor. <laughs> I know. That, that would be great. <laughs> It'd be funny if they had like Janet Yellen or someone on it. But yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So so a lot of people think that, you know, I've seen criticism of Star Trek, think that it's promoting uh, uh, communism or, or, you know, that kind of worldview. And I don't necessarily agree. Again, there's similarities. I don't. I think it's necessarily the same thing because even in the original Star Trek, you have to remember that the writers of the original Star Trek, many of them served in World War II, and many of them had a view of what freedom and what America was about, and they put that into the show, like in the '60s. Or there are a lot of episodes that, in which you know Captain Kirk or Spock would go down to a planet that would be ruled over by some kind of computer or alien that was basically a central controller of that planet of that system and Kirk would make an argument that people were not being free because all beings in the galaxies had rights that is this universalist um, belief that all beings you know had inalienable rights that could not be taken away from them therefore he used that as a reason to violate the prime directive and you know setting these people free and then of course he'd always leave and never come back but yeah. but you're talking about captain kirk right yeah. so this is a long time ago the government they're if they are trying to push certain ideas or get us on board throughout history you know in some of these films that that they're pushing in some cases uh, uh, people to support a war or um, to, to be against a certain uh, dictator or leader in another country. The U S government's interests have changed over time. Mm -hmm. And I just think about how in the sixties, their interests were probably a lot different in some ways than they are now. Now some things are the same, but think about how in the sixties they were very, the FBI was very concerned with communism. Mm-hmm. They were wiretapping people. They were wiretapping people like MLK, like Martin Luther King Jr., because they thought because of his association with communists, and they were very anti-communist. Now I would say, <laughs> if they were infiltrating, if they were uh, infiltrating is not word, not the right word. If they were influencing entertainment in the '60s, they're going to be influencing it in a really different way than they are now, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of if there is influence, what I think there is, but I think a lot of influence is more promoting just kind of more nihilistic stories. Cause uh, you know, we've talked about before how the CIA in the 1950s 
promoted, supported uh, abstract expressionist painting. Like, I don't think there's any definite proof that they supported Jackson Pollock, but I'm pretty sure they did. And they said that they were promoting it to promote American values over Soviet values and saying, look, people are so free that they can do these paintings where they're doing splatter art and things. And so if you take that on face value, sure. But at the same time, the abstract expressionist art was non-representational. It was, it represented nothing. You know, it was ultimately, I kind of view it as a bit nihilistic. Ultimately, there's, there, beauty wasn't being represented in these paintings. It was just random shapes and colors and things that, of course, they rationalized saying, you know, Jackson Pollock was tapping into his subconscious and doing all the other things. And so I could see how certain people within government or, or, or rich financiers could be pushing a lot of entertainment these days that are promoting uh, these ideas that there's essentially no good or evil. Because you look at this trend of movies coming out based on villains. I mean, the Joker, as we were talking about earlier, um, Venom, Cruella DeVille, uh, they're planning to come out with a bunch of villain movies for Spider-Man, uh, Ninja Turtles gonna have a bunch. Uh, so many, uh, yeah, Ninja Turtles, they're supposed to do a bunch of spinoffs. Batman's having spinoffs with like the Penguin's gonna have a show, HBO. So what? You're, you're, yeah, you're seeing all these, these traditional villains being portrayed as kind of sympathetic and, uh, being portrayed as you know victims of of society that you know it's solely the environment that has the influence on them and making decisions that they make rather than someone just being evil you know it's it's essentially arguing that evil doesn't really exist let me guess evil they're they're going to present the view that evil arises from oppression <laughs> right systemic oppression and we all need to mm -hmm. Redistribute yeah. power among different identity groups in order to prevent evil. Yeah, so I think that's where a lot of the funding's going, and just pr promoting all this this kind of mess that's just because it's having an effect on you know people. I mean, a, a lot of people we all we all love stories, and stories influence our behavior, whether we know it or not. It influences our our morals and and the way we perceive people and the and way we think about ourselves and what you know how we should behave. And you've kind of seen this this climb, this decline where we've gone from heroes and some antiheroes to a lot of antiheroes in like the 1970s, and then we start getting into more murky territory. That kind of happened with Star Trek a little bit, bit by bit. You kind of move from that the the more relativist kind of position because the original series was very um, had a, a strong stance on morality and you know universal rights. But as things went on, you know, you started to see that relativism kind of creep in. And so now I think you're just seeing an explosion of it in entertainment right now. Jordan Peterson talks about this a little bit with children's movies. And if you look at the old Disney films, how they had a very clear cut moral foundation or they were trying to import, import, impart uh, moral lessons and that those lessons have changed in Disney films over time. So you're no longer seeing lessons about that are universal about, you know, why you shouldn't lie, like in Pinocchio. Um, you're seeing more of the, the, we live in a world where people get things because they're boys and that's not right. And women need to rise up and they're getting that social justice programming now right. in some cases, rather than just universal moral instruction on how to best be in the world. Yeah. And and don't forget how many Disney movies feature characters that come from single parent households. Did you ever notice about that? Especially like a lot of those animated features, you know, starting with Little Mermaid and on up with just how many of them just only had one parent. Bambi. Bambi. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, I I definitely think there's something to that. Um, I'm going to just see if I can make you laugh for a second, Mr. Chris, with the people in the chat are cracking me up. <laughs> uh, Scott Miller said that they're going back to that Stacey Abrams picture that you showed of her on Star Trek, which I thought was a joke <laughs> at first. It looks like it looks so low budget. Do you want to read this one? Uh, she actually <laughs> lost the Federation election, but ain't the actual winner. 
<laughs> oh no! You are oppressing people with your humor. <laughs> Cameron Pasha, don't they have gyms in the 24th century? Why is the Federation president exactly. in that shape? Yeah, can't they just go to like a sick bay and just use some device to like zap the fat off? <laughs> oh, look, it's Abraham Lincoln's tech savvy ghost again with another ghostly super chat who says, I never had to rely on these cheap parlor <laughs> tricks when I was alive. And can we please stop talking about actors? <laughs> 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 who is that? I'll fight you naked. Thank you, sir. Says Project Mockingbird is just out in the open. Brennan right. is a regular on CNN. Anderson Cooper was a CIA, quote, intern. I'm sure he just went out for coffee. <laughs> yeah, haven't they officially, they've they've never said that Project Mockingbird ended. Is that correct? Someone correct yeah, well, me in chat. No. Well, that's same thing with like COINTELPRO, counterintelligence program, where they were spying, like you were mentioned earlier. They're spying on civil rights groups. They're also spying on hate groups, uh, college groups, anti-war groups, and basically anything that J. Edgar Hoover thought was undermining America, or specifically him. Anyone with cultural capital. Hmm. So like Martin Luther King wasn't a politician. Uh, John Lennon wasn't a politician, but these were figures who had a lot of cultural power and the ability to influence and and, and sway people. And I think... That, that famous Andrew Beitbart quote is is true, and I, I think they know this, which is that politics follows culture. I mean, look at woke. Woke came from the culture first. It came from the university, from academia first. Then it infiltrated mm, politics. Yeah. yeah, politics and entertainment. And entertainment, yeah. yeah. So, guys, we're doing a quick one today because I promised Nina Infinity I'm going to be on her show right after this. If you guys want to come hang out on Nina's channel. So I think we have about five minutes left. Let's read a couple more super chats from people. Uh, and then we'll call it a night. You you guys were making me laugh so hard. <laughs> Let me see. Uh, oh, wow. There's a lot of comments. Sorry. Yeah. Deep Space Nine and the Ferengi were capitalists. What is that? Oh, the Ferengi. So uh, there are alien species that love capitalism. They, they love gold and having money. And uh, they're kind of used as, they're used more as humor in Deep Space Nine. And it's kind of, they kind of contrast it between this quasi-socialist <laughs> federation and, and yet the capitalist Ferengi. I'm going to make you watch some Deep Space Nine episodes. Oh, it, it will happen. Now that we're doing this <laughs> pop culture show again, it's like, okay, it has to happen. Yeah. Uh, Twee Girl says the Smurfs promoted communism, socialist men under a red father. <laughs> <laughs> I heard this when I was a kid. I was in one of those states. I was in South Carolina where everybody was saying that the Smurfs were communists or they were Satan worshippers, like Gar because of Gargamel's name. And mm. there were all these oh, like, yeah. reasons why we weren't supposed to be watching the Smurfs. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading a book on the Satanic Panic and on a future episode. I want us to talk about all that. Which book are you reading? Uh, I think it's the one I showed you. I think it's called The Satanic Panic. <laughs> I think it's on the bookshelf. It gets you right now. But. I would love to talk about that. I wrote a paper on that when I was in college. Because um, at the time, remember all those, now we're getting off subject, but there were all those different cases of, of, nursery, of day schools, preschools and stuff daycare centers, that's the right word, where kids were having these recovered memories of satanic ritual abuse and these daycare centers were being shut down. And do you remember all of that? I no. mean, obviously if you're reading about it though. I haven't gotten to that part. I, I, I do uh, remember uh, <laughs> uh, some of the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And uh, I, I watch a lot of bad movies. And a while back I watched uh, Mazes of Monsters, which was a TV movie that was uh, part of the satanic panic. And this yes. one starred uh, Tom Hanks as a college kid who gets so obsessed with playing this game, this Dungeons and Dragons type game, that he actually thinks he's in the game. He starts hallucinating and he like basically is like running around the streets of New York while his friends are trying to get him. And it's pretty hilarious. Uh, uh, just really quick, Nina Infinity popped into the chat. Did you see her? Hey, hey Nina. 
It's hard to keep up. There she is. She says Deep Space Nine is amazing, Carrie. Yes. I love Deep Space Nine. You My guys have shows. to meet. You you would totally geek out, and I would just go to the <laughs> cottage in my head while you talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to, since we have to end tight hour tonight, guys, I want to end on this. Miss Jean Ellis, thank you. She says, so leave us with some hope to change things to the best. Give us some I, hope. I, so... I am a big proponent of trying to find independent producers and, and people making movies and, and uh, shorts and stuff. And so there's a channel on YouTube called Dust, and it's also on Roku and other ones, where it's nothing but science fiction shorts. And so usually like five to 10 minute movies, short, you know, mini movies. And I've been watching a lot of those. And I just love that there are a lot of people who are still trying to make more original as original as you can be, science fiction t stories and, and tales. And I feel like we all need to, to be on lookout and try to support uh, up-and-coming filmmakers and, and people making these projects. I mean, yeah, they're not going to be as technical savvy as a lot of these Hollywood productions, but they are getting better. A lot, a lot of these uh, independent short films are, are getting a lot better. And so I, I, I'm very hopeful and... Really looking forward to seeing what's going to come. That's great. Yeah, who cares about if they're high tech yet or not? If they have a good story, mm -hmm. good acting, good writing. Marby Dog says, "Up with hope, down with dope." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Does Dare yeah. still exist? By the way. Who? Dare. Do you remember? Uh, it was the the oh. school thing where kids against drugs. That I don't know. I mean, they're giving out the government's giving out free crack pipes now. So I don't know if they'd be highly invested in. <laughs> Fight, kids not to do fight drug addiction with crack pipes. Did I ever tell you when I was in Tanzania, I used to see people wearing the funniest shirts because a lot of shirts, a lot of things from that get donated here get sent over right. to different countries. And you would sometimes see people wearing shirts and they d didn't know what they said in English. And the part of Tanzania I was in, um, well, English is also a national language there now. Uh, President Nyeri made it the second national language, so it's Swahili and English. But in some of the remote parts of Tanzania, there'd be people who didn't speak English. And I saw this one guy wearing a dare shirt, like anti-drug shirt, <laughs> and he's smoking a huge blunt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish he had a picture. That just was just like, perfect. Ah, perfect. Another time I saw a guy wearing a bright pink shirt. It was made for a lady, clearly. And it said, <laughs> it said from zero to bitch in 60 seconds. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, this kind of cultural things where it's just like, do you know what that means? <laughs> um, no, no. Okay, I got to go. But one day I'll tell you this, another story about Tanzania, about mm -hmm. the, the, you know the sports brand Fila? Yeah. Okay. Just remind me of that on a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for hanging out with us tonight. Thanks for, for visiting us on the Deprogram channel. If it's your first time here, please hit like and subscribe or hit the alarm bell so you get notifications. We, uh, we are up and running. We have a locals you can join. We have a, a subscribe star and a Patreon. If you want to support us financially, you can use any of those three methods. Um, if you're not able to do that or not uh, willing to commit to that, you can also help us just by liking or telling people about the show or suggesting things for us to talk about in the comments. Uh, if you have questions for us, I am going to be announcing the winner of the knife Ooh. on Friday. So tune in for Kerfefe break on Friday and we'll be picking a winner. And um, Oh, and tomorrow the knitters. I got to talk to this amazing guy who's uh, Neil, who started Blocked Magazine in the knitting world. And he's really pushing back against social justice ideology. And he was delightful. And that interview is coming out tomorrow on Deprogrammed at six o'clock Texas time. So thank you guys. Thank you, Cole, for helping us with tech. Yeah, thanks, Cole. Okay. Roll it.